This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 24, Yoga Tune-Up and Chronic Pain. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Jill Miller. Jill is the co-creator of the self-care fitness formats Yoga Tune-Up and the Role Model Method. With more than 30 years of study in anatomy and movement, she is a pioneer in forging relevant links between the world of fitness, yoga, massage, athletics, and pain management. I use her teachings to manage my own pain as I was diagnosed with endometriosis stage 4 and frozen pelvis in January 2013. And with March being the Endometriosis Awareness Month, I wanted to do an episode about strategies that helped me deal with my own symptoms, so maybe I can help some of you. Quick note before we start, if you want to experience this work in your own body and you are in the Bay Area, I have two workshops coming up, one in April and one in May. Jill also has some in Southern California and on the East Coast, if that's where you are. And I'll give more details about those at the end. Also, as always, I really appreciate your support. So as you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter a giveaway. Once more, Atleta is supporting this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give more detail at the end of the show with what you need to know about the workshops. And I also announced the winner of our last giveaway. Okay, on that note, take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Hi, Jill. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Erica. So good to talk to you. I first discovered Jill's work about five years ago while looking for a way to heal a yoga injury. What I didn't know at that moment was the profound impact this work was going to have on my life and on my health. As I mentioned in the intro, I suffer from endometriosis and as an autoimmune disease, it's strongly affected by stress. So yoga tune-up and the role model method have really helped me get a better understanding of my stress and gave me tools to downregulate my nervous system. And so in turn, the pain was able to decrease pretty drastically. So I thought it'd be a great way to talk about chronic pain and chronic pain management. Jill, before we really dig in into that, and for the people that don't really know you very well, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your own journey? Uh, well, I started off as a child yogini, I mm. suppose. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, off the grid in a solar home, and I was a definably chubby child. I was like about four nine, four ten, and weighed a hundred <laughs> pounds by the time I was nine or ten years old. So I was um, teased for being short for being fat and for having thick glasses. Mm. And I was very inactive and I was just not that interested in activity. I read a lot of books. <laughs> I mean, I fit the mold <laughs> completely of the little, like the little nerdette. And, um, but when I got, I think it was between sixth grade and seventh grade, my mom bought the Jane Fonda workout and the Raquel Welsh yoga video and brought them home. And that was, I mean, this is, I'm 47. So this is like, you know, the time of beta video. We didn't have VHS <laughs> yet. And we, when I say we lived off the grid in Santa Fe, we, you know, we didn't have cable. We didn't have, we had the video player. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing those exercise videos with my mom and she quickly gave up, but I became completely obsessed with them. 
And, and when I say obsessed, I mean it in the pathological term. Like I became completely addicted to doing these practices. And I would mm. remember I would, I would come home after school. I would do them back to back every day. And that actually opened me into the world of my body. Mm. Um, but it also opened up this whole other, let's say, trap door into a spiral of addiction and eating disorders that followed me for about another about another 10 years mm-hmm. until I you know, started healing. But the yoga practices were really my comfort blanket as I entered my tweendom um, throughout junior high and high school and my early college or most of my college years. The practice of yoga gave me a way to self-regulate and self-meditate, you know, excuse me, self-medicate through mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. And ultimately my, my healing journey is the, is the work that I share with the world now, having gone through both anorexia and bulimia and sort of the, my way of surviving my life um, has also led me into, I would say, a profound medicine chest of you know, the internal medicine that really is available to us through embodied movement. And that includes self-massage and includes, I would say, novel n- novel movements that are informed by yoga practices, but are not exclusive to to yoga. Mm-hmm. And I'm a I'm a dabbler and an interdisciplinarian, and I educate people on my methods, the yoga tune up and the role model. And it's one one of the things that led me to meet you. Yes. <laughs> I didn't mention in the intro, but I s- later studied with Jill, and I'm also a yoga tune-up teacher and role model practitioner. So we are all intertwined here in in this work. Why did you decide to then create yoga tune-up or the role model method? What was the original need or the original intent? Ah, uh, well, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a little little frog in my throat, just a little one. <laughs> the original intent. So I was a total yoga practitioner, meaning I was, I went, gosh, there's such, there's so much yoga to my story. <laughs> and, and I don't really think about it or talk about it unless I talk to a podcaster like yourself who really wants to find out more about my history. Mm-hmm. But so much of my history is what informs where I'm at today of in terms of practice. So when I was about 19, 18 or 18 years old, I started uh, working at the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies in upstate New York. And it was there in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, uh, no, actually between my sophomore and junior year of college, that I met my mentor, my lifetime mentor, his name is Glenn Black. And he is a, I would say he, you know, he's a yoga teacher, but he's so much uh, more than that, mm-hmm. in that he would also uh, be the first person to say that yoga is not a panacea and yoga harms as much as it heals. And he actually did say that in the book called Yoga Body. Excuse me, not Yoga Body. Oh, where's what's, what is the book? Like the William Broad, Bill Broad's book, who was a New York Times uh, award-winning author. And he wrote a book. My gosh, you'd have to Google it right now. I'm totally blanking on the name of the book. <laughs> I can always um, add it, it in the show notes after for people to reference. Yeah, well, Bill Broad came out with 
a book that was so intensely controversial about seven years ago. And he had Is interviewed it the, the science of yoga. Yeah, is it the that one? Of yoga. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've read anyway, that book. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you read that book, and a lot of people mm-hmm. read that book, and they were outraged at what he was saying. And uh, one of the centerpiece interviews was with my teacher, and my teacher has always been a a rogue <laughs> and, uh, and a chor- a and a rabble rouser, but also a truth teller. He's a a worldwide renowned body worker who is a protege of a orthopedic physical therapist named Shmuel Tots who created something called body tuning. Now this is all important for you to know because this is, these, these are, these are the people that influence the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. And I borrow words from them because it has rich meaning for me. And um, so the body tuning was the body work that my teacher Glenn Black taught and his yoga was really radical. It was very much Iyengar informed, but it was also informed by the language of the joints. So he was obsessed with joint articulations. And you know, now if you look up joint articulations or capsular articular ro- rotations online, you're going to find lots of people who have joint-focused modalities that are right now reaching a a fervent peak in the movement, fitness, and mm-hmm. yoga space. Mm-hmm. But Glenn was doing this 25 years ago, 27 mm-hmm. years ago, because I met him when I was 19, 47. So we were doing this work 28 years ago where we were um, spending hours and hours isolating our bodies joint by joint and not even really doing asana. Mm-hmm. We were preparing the body. And so I learned from him the... Uh, embodied experience of each joint. And I was in, I was studying dance in school as well, but with him, what I learned was that you can't just, you know, uh, be in a certain range for long periods of time and think that that's going to keep you healthy. You have Mm -hmm. to have the variability and make sure that your joints move in all the ranges that they're supposed to through strength and, and stretch and stimulation. So this was a really important, um, piece for me. And I studied with him for four years. I went back to Omega four years in a row. I ended up working for them, teaching dance and movement uh, to their community. Uh, and, uh, and then I would assist Glenn. Like Glenn took me under his wing and I would work with him each summer. And then I finally left my, I graduated from college and I left Chicago where I had started a dance theater company and I decided to move to Los Angeles And at the time, I was doing all the yoga practices that I would learn from Glenn during the summer. I would just keep them up during the year and dabble in different, at different Iyengar schools around Chicago and dance. I was dancing and, you know, doing my own thing. When I moved to Los Angeles, um, against my teacher's wishes too, my teacher (laughs) wanted me to come and work with him during the year. And I was like, I I don't want to do that. I want to go to LA and explore my twenties. I don't want to like work on a boat with you. (laughs) Like that just seemed really like boring. But now I, now other part of me is like, darn it, I should have just apprenticed with him and like gone all (laughs) the way with, uh, um, with that. But it just wasn't my, um, my temperament. I'm a very outgoing person and I need to be around a lot of people. And Glenn is kind of a recluse and just, he's just such a gift. I have nothing but amazing things to say about him. Um, and he teaches, he still teaches infrequently, but he does teach occasionally. I recommend it to anybody who likes extremely deep practice, very intense, concentrated practice. 
So I moved out to Los Angeles and I got immersed in a new scene out here. When I moved out here, I got introduced to the power yoga and Ashtanga scene. Mm. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. These people were dancing. They were Mm. dancing while doing practice. I'd never done vinyasa yoga before. I had done these Iyengar-based practices, these joint practices, and then the massage work that I was learning with from him. And then, of course, dance, like real legitimate dance. But the yoga that was happening out here was heavily influenced by the uh, by Ashtanga, and and a lot of that came through Chuck and Mati's Center Yoga Works, and I got in with you know a small group of people. We were doing some private uh, practice, and I just dove in to this, and I I would say I abandoned some of the fundamentals that I had learned from Glenn. I mean, it never left me, but for the, for the five or six years that I dove into the Ashtanga and power yoga scene out here, um, I was doing that practice, which was heavily leaning on my joints in a way that I can say in hindsight probably was not so healthy for Mm. my, my joints, my connective tissues and my ligaments. Um, and then around age 30, I went back to Omega. I, I had gotten a 200-hour cert. I went back to Omega to teach there again and reconnected with Glenn for the first time in seven years. Oh, my God, I'm going to cry. Hmm. And, you know, it all came back to me. And I literally threw out everything I'd been doing, and I went back to work with him. And year after year would, for four years in a row, went down to Costa Rica with him for a full month. And we would dive into practices, meditation, yoga, body work. And um, I rebuilt my body's integrity, uh, got myself out of pain. Um, and and then I, when I, I mean, this is all, this is a very long story, but it's actually short <laughs> right now. <laughs> but then I knew I couldn't, I couldn't teach power yoga stuff that I got the, you know, the 200 hour cert mm-hmm, to teach. Mm-hmm. And I needed to teach what I was felt had you. In, in, was true to me and also was true to the human body, which mm-hmm. was honoring biomechanics, which was honoring, um, connective tissue integrity. Um, and so that was a problem when I came back here, I didn't know who my students were. I didn't know how to really, get it across to people, but it just came out. Like my work would come out because it wasn't just Glenn. It was also the decades of dance and body work that I had studied was all coming out in my classes into this mishmash. And finally, I I made a little demo video a present. I made a present for my mother for Hanukkah. I was doing some shoot with a, a company and and they said, hey, do you want to just throw down like 10 minutes on video just for fun? And I I was like, well, sure. Cause they were doing their project. I was being a, I was fulfilling a role for them. Mm-hmm. And then they said, Hey, as a, as a gift, you know, just we'll shoot 10 minutes for your own thing and you can have the hard, the hard copy and do whatever you want with it. And so I was like, okay, well this is, I'm going to do a yoga tune up for shoulders and it's for my mom. Cause she was having shoulder pain. And I was going to give it to her as a Hanukkah gift. And after we filmed it, I was like, this is a darn good video. I'm going to figure out how to replicate it. This is a DVD. So this is in, this is 2001, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, when I started the class, I said, Hey mom, this, or this is, a, I didn't say, Hey mom, but I said, this is a yoga tune up for shoulders. And there it was, it was just right there. The, 
second, third, and fourth word that I said. And so really it was preparatory movements for the shoulders to be able to do asana, to be able to do poses. Mm -hmm. Lots of warm-ups basically is joint articulations is what I what I taught on that video. And if I comb through my closet, I'm sure somewhere around here, I probably have an original copy or mm. maybe there's some listeners out there who bought my original nine set of DVDs that I used to sell out of my, you know, out of my little closet. <laughs> uh, I would go get them replicated. I had a friend, you know, make a beautiful image. And so originally it was, it was a product. It wasn't a class. Mm. So I had these products called these yoga, it was yoga tune-up, right? Little yoga tune-up. Mm -hmm. And then I got an opportunity to teach at the gym, uh, gym chain called Equinox Fitness Clubs. They were opening in Santa Monica. And now, I mean, now they're everywhere, but mm -hmm. this was, this was before they were everywhere. And I got hired there by a woman named Desiree Bartlett. And I, and she said, well, what do you want to call your class? I said, let's call it yoga tune-up. Mm. <laughs> and once I did that, I was like, I better, I better trademark this name. And so that was the, really the origin story of, and I guess there's a little entrepreneurship in there too, of how I coined the term yoga tune up, what it was for, and then how I started to get it into the marketplace. The role model is my therapy ball programming. The role model is something that we would occasionally use in yoga tune-up classes. We'd occasionally do self-massage because I had always learned from Glenn that preparing your tissues wasn't just about moving your joints, but it was also about stimulating the tissues so that they could sense. And so that, that sensory information could be used for you in the execution and performance of movement. And so I uh, was using these balls and this is, this is a whole other uh, entrepreneur story, but I, I was using the therapy balls and they started calling them yoga tune-up therapy balls. Originally, they just had my Jill Miller yoga logo on them. I have a couple of them on my, my shelf over there, mm -hmm. like not encased in, you know, <laughs> in like a acrylic case, but they're sort of in the bottom of a, an old prop box. And so we would use these therapy balls and eventually the therapy ball work just took off. Mm -hmm. People really wanted to learn self-massage and I just kept expanding that program and expanding the, the work of it. And then a book company reached out to me and asked if I would write a book for their publishing company. And I decided to, to write about my therapy ball work. And that's actually came up with the, with the term, the role model, because I wanted to brand it away from yoga tune up so that people didn't think that the therapy ball work was yoga. I wanted them to be able to use role model techniques in any type of movement practice or self-care practice, which is what it is today. I mean, we see mm -hmm. people using the therapy balls in um, clinics, in hospital centers, in gyms, in uh, athletic centers, and in private practice, in, in homes. Yeah. So there, there you have it. Mm -hmm. Is that... Is that what you were asking about? Yeah, yeah. And that self-care practice you were just mentioning is exactly what I wanted to talk about in the sense of pain management and how yes. it actually does more than only range of motion and preparing the joints and preparing the tissue. It actually has such a bigger impact, right? So, Oh, absolutely. I don't think we can talk about pain management without touching the impact that it has on the nervous system. So can you explain how does the self-massage of the role model method affect the nervous system, or maybe we need to talk a bit more about nervous system first, just to, what does that mean in a nutshell? Yeah, I, I like to, you know, 
there's so much information out about mm-hmm. pain and the biopsychosocial model of pain. I'm wondering if you have a podcast that you've recorded already that goes into that experience. No, not yet. Not yet. Um, well, it, the, the word pain is problematic mm-hmm. in, in many ways. It's like saying emotion. I have emotions, right? Mm-hmm. There are so many different types of emotions and the emotions create so many different experiences for people. And um, some emotions, um, uh, anyway, I'll just jump off the emotion thing and go and, and use the correlate of pain. So right now, one of the big moves in pain science is to really describe pain as an experience. Mm-hmm. And it is so subjective to each person that has the experience of pain. Mm-hmm. And that um, pain isn't necessarily correlated with injured tissue or pathological tissue because pain um, is processed in a number of different centers of the brain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't actually have owie pain when we have pain. Uh, we might have symptoms that uh, come about from pain in the body, but we don't actually have irritation. Mm-hmm. So we might develop an autoimmune um, issue as a as a protective mechanism for our body to actually defend itself against pain. So pain is very very complicated, and I'm not a pain um, science expert. Um, I'm certainly a pain expert in my own body <laughs> because of the number of 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 things that I've dealt with personally, yeah. and I just find it fascinating to continue to see how pain theory evolves and develops, and how. Um, theory of managing pain continues to evolve and develop, um, you know, and just even in the last five years, it's just gotten really interesting. I just got a book that came across my desk that I'll, I'll talk to you offline about, but it's, um, a book by Neil Pearson, Shelley Prosco and Marlisa Sullivan about yoga and science and pain care. Mm. Um, oh my gosh, it's so good. So they, they've asked me for a quote. So I get to read this brand new book that's not even on the shelves yet that awesome. just covers everything that you're going to want to, mm-hmm. um, that, that you love and know. Um, so the, the fact that pain is this, you know, individual experience and that pain isn't necessarily correlated with tissue damage is really confusing. Um, for example, I lived with a diseased hip for God knows how many years. I didn't know I had advanced end stage osteoarthritis. I didn't know I had bone on bone degradation, with a a corona of bone spurs and osteophytes and bone bruises in my left hip until I thought I had a suspicion that I had a labral tear Mm. in my left hip just due to some positioning things and a a spasm that I would, an infrequent spasm that would come back. And, you know, you would think that with that kind of tissue damage, I would be crippled, that I'd be hobbling around on crutches. And I'm looking at my bone because it's on my desk here. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing about tissue damage and pain isn't always an equal, an equal thing. But what we do know about um, what the, what, one of the things that the therapy balls, so going into what do the therapy balls do for your pain, is the therapy balls temper sympathetic outflow, meaning they help to reduce some of the, our defensive stress response that keeps us in an upregulated or fight or flight state. Mm-hmm. Now, when we have that fight or flight state, it is an irritant. It's, an ir- it's, it's a suppressant in some ways, but it's also an irritant to our body and it represents an inflammatory state. When we stimulate ourselves with the therapy balls, it, temp- it tamps down that sympathetic, sympathetic outflow 
and it stokes our parasympathetic recovery, restoration, regeneration response, which helps to um, reduce body stress, let's say the negative body stress, and help augment a cascade of some of the benefits of being in a parasympathetic state of the relaxation response. Mm -hmm. And we do this by our application. So it's not just, oh, putting a ball on you will make this happen. There are parameters that we need to meet in order to have this response happen. And there's nothing I dislike more than seeing people just sort of just roll around and hope for the best. You know, you want to approach the rolling with sensitivity, um, with gentleness. Less can be a lot more with this work, especially when we're looking at the layers of the body and the different layers of nerves within different layers and the, the, the effect and impact we want to have. There are specific strokes and specific breath patterns, as well as mental orientations, what we call sankalpa, mm-hmm. that that we've seen are extremely beneficial for serving the parasympathetic dominant state that we're looking for to to stoke that regenerate response. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to the breath and uh, mental orientation, as you mentioned, in a moment. But I feel like one of the objective or the goals of yoga tune-up or let's talk about role model method is awareness and body awareness so do you think better awareness help you regulate your stress or deal with the symptom of an illness oh gosh that's such a good question I used to think yes mm. without a doubt I mean I think I think awareness is the super skill mm-hmm. now that there's some people and I'm, I'm including myself some people where the awareness is vigilance Mm. and it becomes a, it's like a faucet you can't turn off. And this is a, a default mode of hyper interoceptive feedback. So we have different feedback mechanisms in our body. So we have proprioception, which is a perception of body parts and where you are in space, how you're, how you're, physically oriented in your own body Mm -hmm. um, vis-a-vis the larger structures, the muscles, the bones, the joints. And then there's our exteroception. It's our our awareness of light, of sound, of things touching our body, right? Some people are like, oh, you know, certain fabrics, they just can't even, they can't manage Mm -hmm. um, being in their own skin. So those are those exteroceptive uh, sensory feedbacks. And then there's the subtle sense, the physiological sensing that is part of the interoceptive sensing. And that includes the awareness of um, your awareness of breath, awareness of your heart, awareness of fluid flows, the, the feelings within your viscera, the, the, the feelings of digestion. Uh, also, your sexual urge is also part of interoception. So, you know, for some people, and typically, like, you, you don't need to be aware of your breath to be breathing. Mm. And you don't need to be aware of your heartbeat for your heart to beat. Thank but God. people who, what's that? Thank God. That would know, be a like, lot wait, to think about. Let me about. just think about this and make my heart <laughs> beat. But of course, attending to these things are amazing. It's like your own inner, um, you know, we, we wear, I don't wear devices, but this this is your iWatch, you know, like mm. it, it, counting beats. Like some people especially people who are prone to anxiety or panic attacks, they're feeling their heart as a loudspeaker on a more regular basis than people 
who don't really sense their heart beating all that much. So sometimes too much awareness is not a good thing. So I just want to point that out because I used to think that the more awareness you have, the better. But as I've as I've aged and I've matured and I've read and I've studied, I realized, oh, my super skill is also a uh, impediment to to my my peace of mind, mm-hmm. right? Or my body, sword. or my body piece. Yes, it's given me tremendous insight. It's driven me to study all the things that I've had. But I realize now that. Um, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to change my interoceptive cortex in this lifetime. I think I'm just going to be a, you know, a highly sensing person. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of cool because I am like a tuning fork. And it's that's very on brand for me to say. But like I walk up to situations, I walk up to people, and I have many, many responses in my body. And so that could be seen as intuition. You know, I don't think anybody's going to pay me for my psychic services. It's not something I market. But um it's kind of cool, but it's also a curse. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So through the self-massage, um, we can regulate our heart rate, right? As we, let's say, get sure. to the vagus nerve, for example. Absolutely, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. We just did it today at my <laughs> Equinox class. I did this, I, you know, like for dessert, we, I have this new move called self-myofascial makeout where you lean against the wall and standing and you kind of have a... a sort of a sexy neck rub with the gorgeous ball. <laughs> you, you rotate it around the, the cylinder of your neck in slow motion with deep breathing. I just, this is on my Instagram feed in the last um, couple of weeks, probably by the time this airs. So you can look it up, self-myofascial makeup, mm-hmm. everybody. Make out, not makeup. Uh, or third base, also actually <laughs> known as third base. But when you're putting pressure against the vasculature on the side of your neck, you're pressing into the carotid and the baroceptors that are in that are in there. And those are, those are feeders for the vagus nerve. And Mm so one way to quickly downregulate is to seek out those parts of the body that the vagus has a rich sensory feedback loop, lateral neck, uh, anterior chest, right? Superior heart, the aortic notch, um, the viscera, the lungs, the thorax, facial muscles. There's lots of locations to go to where you can stimulate in a, in slow motion. This is not done in an aggressive way Mm -hmm. that can alter the, the pressure cascade and actually make the vagus nerve come online, make it actually a dominating feature in your autonomic nervous system. So you can do this manually. You can also do this through breathing. You can do this through, um, uh, through vocalization, but yes, we do this with the therapy balls and with position and with breath. Mm-hmm. And digging a little bit more into the breath itself, why does it have such a big impact to regulate the breath? Why does the breath have such an impact to regulate the breath? Why does regulating the breath have such an impact on the nervous system downregulation or on you know the relaxation response? Well, you're... The- Um, it's like really big question. So your breath is automatic. You don't have to do anything about it. You're going to breathe about 20 to 23,000 times a day, whether you like it or not. Um, but there are different patterns for our breathing that help to regulate our oxygen needs. And your breath is always responding to the demands both on your physical body and on your emotions. So when we can use breathing strategies 
to try to alter we can't we can use breathing strategies to alter our own responsiveness to to stresses um for example if you're watching a stressful movie that is you know and you're passive or you're just sitting there but your heart rate just starts accelerating mm. and you're seeing your visual field of seeing things that are threatening to you um you know your heart and your breath are going to respond automatically to those stresses but you can attempt to transition your responses by taking slower uh, shorter inhalations and longer duration exhalations which should you know which should in theory uh, attempt to buffer or mollify some of that stress response that you're feeling mm. so we can get we can unautomate the automation of our body's responses by controlling our breathing you know conversely if we need to get more amplified if we're feeling really draggy or really depressed mm-hmm. we can take breaths that load our inhale cycle with more robust inhales with longer holds after inhale to try to um, increase our energy and bring us out of a draggy state bring us out of what i call a drowsal state so we have the arousal state and the drowsal state make really crafty pranayamas or breath strategies that you know can change our state Mm-hmm. So you mentioned how the therapy ball with the breath can affect the emotions, right? Well, I mean, your emotions are going to... Yes, sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're all such big questions. It's like <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do. But yeah. You, uh, yeah. I'm thinking... Okay, so I'm thinking of this particular um, thing. When we did the core training, right? When we the work core immersion. the core immersion, when we yeah. work on abdominal massage with the gorgeous ball, yes. there's this huge connection to the breath. There's this connection to the abdominal in general, but there's also this very obvious link to emotional response or to emotional release. I don't know if you remember me, but I, I spent a whole day crying in that immersion. I... <laughs> You are not alone. I know. I know. I'm not concerned about that, but I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious too. I'm always curious. And even though I know answers to this question, it's always stunning to me. Um, You know, really the record of our, so much of our lives is in our, you know, viscera. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all, the record of our lives is our, is the entirety of our body. But our our viscera are such a primal engine for for survival. And our way of nourishing ourselves is connected to, number one, through our umbilicus to our mother, Mm -hmm. to her placenta that fed us, and then to our first foods, which was either mother's milk or formula or some other type of, you know, milk. And our mode of receiving that food was the way that we learned to process the outside world into us. And all of us have a very different relationship to our mothers or to our original caretakers. And none of us can really consciously remember those first 24, 36 months of life. Mm -hmm. But our bodies remember. And if we've never been touched in our guts, when you start entering your guts, um, your visceral region with palpation, either with somebody's hand 
or with a ball, there is something intensely primal about that experience. And the involuntary messages going from your viscera via the vagus up to different centers of your brain certainly must be recalibrating something. Mm-hmm. We don't yet have any studies on this through, you know, through our methods, but I do know that visceral massage, um, if you go to the Baral Institute website, they have uh, some coverage on visceral massage and emotions. Um, but, the vis- but the benefits of visceral massage impact every system of the body, from your respiration to your uh, sexual systems, um, your reproductive systems, your digestive system, most obviously, and then the musculoskeletal system. So I know that you talk about your endometriosis and the suffering, the pain and suffering that happen because of that condition. Mm-hmm. You know, our body will brace it just will go into a holding pattern. And so the tensions as they release from decades of that holding pattern can just spontaneously make us weep, um, both for a hedonic reason, a pleasurable reason, um, but also for all sorts of unknown expressions. And what's Mm -hmm. important about the experience of emotion when you're contacting these different places is to be respectful of that process in yourself. Mm-hmm. and allow whatever stories need to come up. Um, journal, my God, um, get some stories out if they come. Many times there aren't any, which can also be frustrating because I know everybody wants an answer to, well, why am I feeling this way? Like, I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just know that they are, that the therapy balls are touching on your range of emotion mm-hmm. and not just your range of motion. <laughs> I mean, obviously and there's strong, sorry. I will tell you this, the first time I laid down on a tool to massage my guts because I I had confessed to one of my yoga teachers that I was bulimic and that I couldn't feel my abs mm. and I was very frustrated because I was in Pilates and you know yoga and dance and everybody always was complaining about their abs being so sore and I never got sore abs I mentioned to this one yoga teacher that I was bulimic um, and she said well lay down on this and she gave me a uh, this bean bag that was shaped like a hamburger bun. It was a prop that they used in the Iyengar studios for, I think for headstand actually way back in the day. She had me lay down on it on my abdomen and it was just so unbelievably painful, visceral pain. Like my Mm -hmm. guts were screaming because I had been trying to mobilize them the wrong way for years by throwing up. The retching had caused so much distress Mm -hmm. inside my my whole digestive system. Um, and the touch made me feel that pain that I'd been running from. So that was very important. And, and it also made me, um, realize what it's doing to myself and start to change the way I treated myself. I mean, I caused that much pain. I mean, there was already pain in me from emotional, uh, traumas from my childhood. And that's why I was throwing up because I couldn't bear to, feel the feelings, um, that were, that were causing me to do what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So there, does that answer anything further? For yeah. You? yeah. 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 Great. And I also wonder if, you know, generally speaking with chronic pain and chronic illness, there are strong emotions that are linked to that oftentimes depression or other, you know, issues, but 
I wonder if just the abdominal massage can affect the chronic illness in a way that because you're releasing those emotions that are associated with it, then you can actually start healing. Uh, I, I think so. I mean, I think you can have a mood shift and all of a sudden feel positivity and you build, start to build that resilient, that resiliency, the ability to bounce back and forth between feeling your misery and then feeling what's glorious about your life mm-hmm. and start to see those moments of pleasure um, that are connected to tapping into that misery, right? Tapping into the grief, tapping into the trauma and and being able to have that at your disposal. So it's like, we're just walking around in pain or miserable and not knowing how we can change that. You know, the doctors say, well, you could have a Xanax or you can have um, an SSRI or now you can have ketamine or e-ketamine or, you know, I just, the headlines as of yesterday, which is the last two days fascinating about this new inhalant antidepressant that they have. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, what if there were other non-chemical ways that we could create a me- mechanotransduction through self-touch and that you could control that internal medicine chest yourself Mm -hmm. through contacting your tissues. And there's a time and a place for chemical medicine. My dad's a doctor. I get it. Like we need that. Thank God for Western meds, but um, it would be great if we could also reduce the chemical load in our bodies. Just have more options. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and be your own complimentary pharmacist. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you don't, maybe the, the low, the, the, you could go down on milligrams if you have this other supplement mm-hmm. of rubber drugs, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, the Western medicine, all they said is, here's a prescription, have a good life. There was nothing really they could do to help me with pain. So, and I know that, or I knew that the Percocet rabbit hole was not a good one for me to go down yes. <laughs> into. So I looked for other, for other options. <laughs> I'm well. I'm I'm really glad that you found this work helpful, mm-hmm. and it's extremely meaningful to me to hear from practitioners like yourself who have really given it. You know, you've given it a five-year run, and look at what you're doing now, mm-hmm. running around the planet. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like having your own podcast. Like, there's so much. There's so much treasure that you've been able to like reap from. You know, having a different, having new avenues to, and you know, new, literally new roads to drive down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about the body itself and the healing side of touch. Uh, we talked about awareness and emotions. And then there's one more thing you mentioned in the beginning, which was mental orientation and the Sankalpa. So if we look at the mental state, right, mm-hmm. what's the importance of Sankalpa or even something as simple as self-acceptance? So, wow, even something as important as self, I think self-acceptance is probably more important than a sankalpa. <laughs> I don't know. For me, sankalpa oftentimes comes into the side of self-acceptance or in that realm of things. So for me, they- I, me too. Like usually my sankalpas are around, like- around self-acceptance. Yeah. They're somehow connected to it. Yeah. Like you're okay. Like, like celebrate this virtue or we're, you know, it's cool. You're okay. Um, Self-acceptance is just is just fundamental to being able to have pleasant exchanges with people and to be able to um, operate in a, I would say, a positive way in the world. I mean, if you are riddled with 
um, dislike of yourself, it's really hard to trust the interactions you have with other people because you fundamentally don't trust yourself. Mm -hmm. And I say that from experience of being a person who did not accept myself. And that's why I spent years starving and throwing Mm -hmm. up and then really working on building that self-acceptance. It doesn't mean that I have great self-esteem. Let me clarify that. But I accept that I have lots of competing uh, interests in my own um, body and mind space. And I just continue to be intrigued by uh, my own contradictory stuff. So what the Sankalpa does is it helps to provide a, a cognitive framework that is a wonderful host to your own personal development skill and your own personal development um, evolution. So in the, you know, in our, cert, our yoga tune of certification, which is a seven-day course, uh, we actually start off the whole week. The very first thing we do is we help our students to craft a sankalpa, which is essentially an inner resolve, a positively stated phrase to help you um, move towards a sense of self-leadership. Mm. And also that self-leadership will help you as you take on the role of a teacher. So if you can't lead yourself, it's hard to lead, lead others in a classroom. Um, and those can be a variety of different Uh, phrases in the training, we actually make a bunch of suggestions. But one that I think is helpful for your listeners and one that I work with um, as a baseline Sankalpa maxim for our work is I embody my body. Mm. I actually got that from Isabel Barter like a few years ago. I just thought it was brilliant. And then another one that I bring up in Breath and Bliss and in core immersion is I am listening to you Mm. or I am listening. So fostering the communication of listening to yourself and fostering a willingness to embody your body, to be there for yourself. So these are, you know, these are phrases are very personal and, um, and we, we work on crafting them, we work on helping our students craft them. I have ones that I work with right now, that helped me personally to be a parent and to be a, um, you know, business owner, wife, and, you know, all the things, all the different hats that I wear, but they're, they address different developmental challenges in my life. And most of them, you know, originate from my own early childhood trauma and places where I, I still don't feel whole. Mm. And so they address those places, they acknowledge those places, and then ask me to reparent myself and, and promote that, that, you know, that leadership so that I can be a better host to the people who I come into contact with, my students, the teachers that I mentor, um, and then my colleagues who I have, you know, big, big professional, uh, relationships and responsibilities with. So something that I work on and people ask, what do you do for self-care? Well, at a minimum, I do Sankalpa. (laughs) Like that's one, like I gotta do that. Otherwise I just, I could go off the rails. It really helps me. I haven't taught a Sankapa as self-care. This is amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just to get out of the stories you tell yourself, especially when you have chronic illness or chronic pain, you literally repeat to yourself all day how much you're in pain and how much you're weak and how much you're sick. So switching that up into a Sankapa that's around feeling strong, feeling healthy, being pain-free, just that is self-care. Yeah. And I thank you for flipping it so that it addresses the pain, uh, the pain thing. I have a really great 
Sankalpa that I got from one of my closest friends, LaShawn Dale. And she gave me a Sankalpa. It was her Sankalpa. It's in our manual. Health is my natural state. Mm, I remember that. And I just, and I know she came up with that in her level one. It was called the level one at the time. Um, because she had been injured badly by having children. It really did a job on her back and her hip. And she really struggled with a lot of pain. And that was the Sankalpa that she worked with. And she hasn't had surgery. She's doing great. <laughs> she, mm. Her kids are getting old too. Not old, but they're a lot older than mine. So um, the framework can really be a wonderful, you know, the Sankalpa can be a really wonderful framework to um you know, look for some of the positives that, you know, why this is happening for me in my life rather than I'm the victim of my pain. Mm-hmm. That can have a huge impact, just shifting. For that. sure. Yeah. It gives you some ownership and it gives you, it gives you the steering wheel, which feels really good when you feel like you're, you're out of control. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, there's one more thing I thought we should talk about and it's conscious relaxation, mm-hmm. um, in your work as simple as Shavasana, but I think there's sometimes not as enough importance put on this part of the work, even just in yoga in general. What are your thoughts on that? On the I feel very lucky that Glenn was my, my, my teacher, my mentor. I hear my children screaming at each other in the background right now. I hope everything's Okay. Um, oh, somebody's not getting what they want. Um, luckily I have a nanny who's taking care of them right now. Uh, my daughter's on her way to ballet, so I'm wondering what's up. Okay. So conscious relaxation is a, is a practice. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have to say before I studied with Glenn, I studied in the Shivananda tradition. Mm. That was one of the many traditions I studied. I loved it. You would do a pose and then you take a five minute shavasana. Then you do a pose, <laughs> you do another five minute shavasana or whatever. It seemed like five minutes. It seemed like a long time. Mm-hmm. But I loved that, like, after every pose that you held for a long time, you'd get to just rest. Mm. And so I was very grateful that that was from my early practice. Beyond, it was, of course, this is beyond the Raquel Walsh yoga video, which, by the way, was Bikram. Um, <laughs> I'm done with, I've done it all. Kundalini, Bikram, Shivananda, Ashtanga, Ayengar. Um, and so, you know, Glenn would often open class with a Shavasana and there would be just gobs of time within classes where we would just, even in Tadasana, he would put us into a Shavasana. Mm. And I felt like he was casting a spell on us. And so I have just, made sure that that is a tenet of the work because all the predictions for our disease, our, our culture of disease is that anxiety is, and other anxiety related mental disorders, they are not going down anytime soon. They're expected to continue to rise mm-hmm. and rise. And so um, things that we can do to uh, help our, help our resiliency is to try to meet those stressors with an equal amount of force <laughs> in the relaxation response. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in studying the path of the vagus nerve and finding as many manual windows as possible using the therapy balls and um, positional trickeries, breath trickeries, 
to be able to induce a conscious relaxation response. So conscious relaxation means that this is something that's deliberate. It's not just like um, turning on the TV and zoning out. Mm -hmm. It's purposeful. It's it's very purposeful and... um, and hopefully, uh, because you know, because builds a habit, a desire in your body to. It really, it's about that resiliency score, so that you meet your stresses with an equal amount of conscious relaxation mm-hmm. for balance. So you meet your needs. That is self care. Mm-hmm. Mm. Awesome. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Anything else we haven't talked about that you think is important to mention? You probably can't hear my kids, so I'm, I'm quite distracted. Um, no, I, one, one thing I'd love to, of course, mention is that we have an incredible training team. And if any of the things that I've mentioned in the podcast intrigue those of you that are listening, you can find teachers in your local area by going to our website and typing in a zip code. Um, it's indexed by U.S. and Canada, but then we have many countries represented on our website as well. And people who are yoga practitioners love this work because it transitions them. It gives them um, I, what I call the Rosetta Stone into all movement modalities. So you learn really more about your body than you learn about yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think that the work that we teach does a lot of myth busting and can be a little disillusioning for people mm. about some of the practices that they've hold dear, but it gives them a chance to actually grow and grow their own practice in whatever direction they want to go in. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'll put the website in the show notes and any info um, for them to find you. But in the meantime, if people want to just say hello or they want to reach out, how's the best place? What's the best place for them to find you? To directly find me is as our Insta- my Instagram account, which is at Yoga Tuna. Um, our brand Instagram account is at Tuna Fitness. So you should follow both because Tuna Fitness does the giveaways. I, I don't really do contests and giveaways. So if you want the free stuff, <laughs> you follow them. And if you want to like, you know, pictures of my kids and my strong opinions about things, follow me. <laughs> um, and then on Facebook, same thing, Jill Miller on Facebook and Tuna Fitness on Facebook. We have an amazing blog, so brilliant, True. run by, oh my gosh, by Ariel Kylie. I learn all the time. There's one right now about the physiology of heartbreak that is just, I've read it like three times. It's so good with Sebastian Younger, who's a, a war, war journalist. So that's a great place to get more information about the larger paradigm of the yeah, work. Yeah, because today we only the, scratched the surface. We still, yeah, a little scratch. But then the book, The Role Model, is, is the public-facing um, book that will really take you into the soft tissue conditioning approach in, um, that, that we've been talking about. And you do have a new book coming up. Yes, it won't be out this year. Mm. I don't. I haven't told my publisher yet, but there's just no way. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was super interesting. I'm so well, glad you, you accepted Erica. the invitation. And you know what? One thing, the course that I think covers the most of what you were wanting to focus on is the breath and bliss immersion. Mm-hmm. And I will be teaching that. I'm teaching it this weekend in LA, but I'll be teaching it one more time this year, which is at the 1440 Retreat Center, Ooh. July 7th through 12th. I'm doing it as a five-day there oh. for the first time, um, which should be amazing. And then I'm doing a version of it, sort of a mashup version, a short version of it in um, in August at the Kripalu Center. And mm. that's a weekend workshop called Body by Breath, which is also the title of my book. Guys, you have to go. You have to go. <laughs> 
And there's a partnership. I'm doing a really cool thing with Tom Myers. Um, he and I are doing rolling along the anatomy trains where we mash up anatomy trains and role model. Mm-hmm. And that is in Maine at his institute also in August. So you just go to the website and you can find all yeah. those events. There's lots of other stuff too. Of but course. Those are some pretty cool things. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, Erica. Thank you for letting me be on and talking. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We have a degree guest coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to make my day, you want to help other people find this great podcast, or you want to get your chance to win a $75 shop card from Athleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app on your iPhone and click write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter a giveaway, and I announce the winner on the next episode. You don't have to do anything else. If you're newer to review, you can check out the show notes for detailed instructions or for more info about our guests of today. You can also visit my website, ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast, and you'll find info there. You'll also find links for the upcoming events we were talking in the beginning about. So if you want to study with Jill or if you're in the Bay Area, as I was saying, I have two workshops coming up if you want to embody this work. On April 27th at Embrace San Rafael, I'm offering a workshop called Hips Don't Lie. We'll obviously explore the hip joint with self-massage, with mobility and stability corrective exercise as well. Then on May 10th at Suka Yoga in Novato, I'm offering Roll, Renew and Relax again. It's been a favorite. It's a deep dive in relaxation with breath work and yoga nidra. And it is the weekend of Mother's Day. It's the Saturday, so that could be a great gift for your mother if you want to offer that. Coming back to our giveaway, our last episode was also supported by Athleta. So thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is user Neely6. Neely6 said, I'm very lucky to have Erica as a teacher and her podcast is an added bonus. I am new to yoga and it's the first time I'm really into a physical activity, mostly because it's good physically and mentally. The podcast is very well done. The topics are interesting. Erica asks insightful questions, and the last one with Maris was great after having seen this inspiring movie. See, it's that simple. Thank you so much, Neely6, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram, and I'll send you your shop cards. Before you go, I just want to say a big thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, guys, thank you for joining us and until next time.